not that funny this morning. <laughs> How are we doing, Jeremy? Am I coming through? Oh, yeah. There we go. Great. Uh, well, it's going to be good today because at least three people have prayed for me during the service. Um, so if it's not good, maybe they weren't praying properly. <laughs> right, while we're on a roll, um, <laughs> the minister had all of his remaining teeth pulled out. Sounds a bit drastic, isn't it? The minister just had, had had all his remaining teeth pulled out, and new dentures were being made. The first Sunday, he only preached 10 minutes. Hallelujah. <laughs> the second Sunday, he preached only 20 minutes. But on the third Sunday, he preached for one hour and 25 minutes. When asked about this by some of the congregation, he responded this way. The first Sunday, my gums were so sore, it was heart hurt, sorry, hurt to talk. The second Sunday, my dentures were hurting a lot. The third Sunday, I accidentally grabbed my wife's dentures and I couldn't stop talking. I did road test that joke with my wife, actually, and said, uh, this isn't too sexist, is it? You know, but, um, okay. there, was, there was a little old cleaning woman who went to the local church, and when the invitation was given at the end of the service, she went forward wanting to become a member. The pastor listened as she told him how she had, had accepted Jesus and wanted to be baptized and become a member of the church. The pastor thought to himself, oh my, she's so unkempt, even smells a little, and her fingernails aren't clean. She picks up garbage, cleans toilets. What would the members think of her? He told her that she needed to go home and pray about it and then decide. So right. pastors, when in doubt, send people away to pray. The following week, here she came again. She told the pastor that she'd prayed about it and she still wanted to be baptized. I've passed this church for so long. It's so beautiful and I truly want to become a member. Again, the pastor told her to go home and pray some more. A few weeks later, while out eating at the restaurant, the pastor saw the little old lady. He didn't want her to think she was, he was ignoring her. So he approached her and said, I haven't seen you for a while. Is everything all right? Oh, yes, she said. I've talked with Jesus, and he told me not to worry about becoming a member of your church. He did, said the pastor. Oh, yes, she replied. He said that even he hasn't been able to get into your church yet, and he's been trying for years. <laughs> okay, let's pray and have coffee while I'm on, while I'm on, on top. <laughs> We want you to meet with Jesus when you come to our church. We want to meet with Jesus when we come to this church, don't we? We want to encounter him, and it doesn't matter what background you're coming from, or where, where you've been in your life, or even where you've been this morning. You are welcome here, and Jesus is welcome here, his Holy Spirit is welcome here, and we love to just give him permission as if he needed it, but in our hearts we sometimes have to say that, don't we? to do whatever he likes, to speak whatever he wants to speak into our lives. Amen? What have you just let yourself in for? <laughs> okay, 
I just want to share a few examples of people who encountered Jesus, who had Jesus or God come into their lives. So if you've got a Bible, I think this verse, these verses will appear behind me anyway. But if you find Isaiah chapter 6, here's Isaiah encountering God at the beginning of his uh, prophetic ministry. You'll know the story well, but let's just remind ourselves of what it's like sometimes to meet the living God. This is Isaiah 6, starting at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, he cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And if we go into the New Testament, we find Peter encountering Jesus. This is in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of the Lord, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked night, sorry, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in other, the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed him. And then if we go to the end of the New Testament in the book of Revelation which is full of encounters, amazing encounters with God. If you haven't read it, I thoroughly recommend it. Just do it, uh, do it this week if you like. But here's John, who's taken up in the spirit, and he says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet was like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and 
Out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Three very different circumstances, aren't they? Three, in one sense, kind of different encounters with God, and yet it's the same God, it's the same Jesus. Angels are there, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. Peter is kind of smitten in his heart. John even falls down as if he was dead. I love the way that Jesus responds to both of those reactions, don't he? What does he say? Don't be afraid. See, there's something in the encounter with God which is just so awesome, it makes us afraid. And yet we shouldn't be afraid of God. Not afraid in the the kind of frightened sense, and yet sort of just taken up with the awesome presence of God. Now, in the next 20 minutes, I'm going to attempt the impossible. That's okay, because we do that here. (laughs) We're going to look into the book of Leviticus. We're going to look into the book. There's the impossible right there. Did you see that? Uh, Trying to understand Leviticus. Actually, Leviticus gets a bit of a poor press, doesn't it? You know, we joke about it. You know, if you really want to have a deep time with God, then read Leviticus as if it was really, well, it is kind of a curious book. I have to, you know, and it's very far removed from our present experience. But it's a great book. It's actually one of the few books that is, uh, one one of the books at least, where it's just the spoken word of God. So God starts speaking at the beginning and he speaks throughout, I think it's 27 chapters. So if you want 27 chapters of God speaking to you, it's probably a good book to read, isn't it? It'll puzzle you, make your head scratch, but you will get deeper into the purposes of God and you will discover more of the holiness of God. And if that wasn't enough to delve into the depths of Leviticus, to explore the holiness of God, we're also going to give you a backdrop to make moral decisions, ethical decisions in your life. Come on. What you get for 20 minutes here, it's amazing. So you're going to learn more about a book of the Bible, more about God's holiness, and I hope you're going to encounter him, even in the preaching, or especially in the preaching. And it's going to give you a backdrop to your life to make moral decisions wherever you go. Because God has called you to be holy. One of the reframes in the book of, uh, uh, the book of Leviticus is this. Leviticus 11.45, I think that's one of our verses, guys. Be holy as I am holy. You see it in the Old Testament. You see exactly the same words in the New Testament. If you look at 1 Peter, chapters 1 and 2, you'll see, you know, we have been, and particularly chapters, chapter 2, verse 9, you've, you've been called, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This verse, well, there it is, is actually quoted, be holy because I am holy. In 1 Peter. So it's not just an Old Testament concept. It's a New Testament concept. It's a concept all of us have to get hold of. All of us should be encountering God, encountering his goodness and his holiness, and of course, his many other attributes as well. 
But what is holiness? Well, notice this. God says, I am holy. I am holy. So right from the beginning, it's God's prerogative, his right to define what holiness is. Not yours, not mine, not even some of our great theologians, although we'll all try to interpret what God is saying in his word, but it's actually God's prerogative to define holiness. Now, holiness isn't something you talk about very much on a Monday morning when you go into work. Anybody sat down in a business meeting? Agenda item number one, the holiness of God. Wouldn't that be great if you did? Actually, let's hope it happens in the church. (laughs) Do we do that in our staff meetings? Oh, occasionally. (laughs) It's just not talked about in, in society generally, is it? When was the last TV program or internet program that you saw, or anything really in our media, about the holiness of God, unless it was coming out of a kind of church source? And yet each man and woman has been made to be holy. It's funny how holiness has kind of been parked somewhere, isn't it, in people's minds. So you may have heard the term Holy Joe. It's not very typical these days, isn't it? If you were a Holy Joe, you probably went to church and were a Christian, but other people saw you as rather sort of, you know, highfalutin, always maybe judgmental and critical. You're a holy Joe. Oh, you don't, you don't get involved in certain things that other people do. You're a ho- you put yourself apart. And actually, unfortunately, some people have demonstrated a kind of holiness that's like that. And you probably know, maybe you've been like that yourself at, at some stage. But holiness, actually, what it, what it does um, indicate is two things, really. Holiness is something that is other. Can you say with me, other? It's a part To make something holy was to simply set it apart from the rest. So in that sense, God is holy because he is set apart from the rest of his creation. He is extremely different from everything else. Although he's made everything and everything reflects his glory, God is something else. (laughs) He certainly is. So he's other. It's also about moral perfection. And this is where most of us kind of pick up on holiness, isn't it? We think, yeah, if you're holy, there are things you shouldn't do, and there's some things that, you, and there are lots, lots of things you should do. Actually, holiness to many people is all the things you shouldn't do. Actually, holiness is equally the things that you should do. And sometimes we can project a picture of Christianity that is all about the things you shouldn't do rather than things you should do. And I hope Eastgate, I know he's, Eastgate is actually, you know, weighted onto the things, the good things and the things that you should do rather than the things that you shouldn't, should, shouldn't do. In fact, the more that you enjoy the things you should do, the less you'll worry about the things you shouldn't do. Amen? Come on. It's important, isn't it? We are a positive people. Holiness is a positive concept. It's a joyful concept. It's a good concept. It's something we should embrace. Gosh, I want to be holy. Why do you want to be holy? Because God is holy. And you want to be like God. And God wants you to be like him. Amazing, isn't it? 
So although we've read examples of like Isaiah saying, I've got, un- you know, coming to the holy presence of God and somehow he feels unclean. Peter sees this great miracle and somehow he feels unclean. John is presented with the glory of Jesus Christ and falls down as if he was dead. The experience of holiness doesn't stop there. You'll be pleased to know. It's an ongoing relationship that you have with God and it's something to be embraced. If you're not embracing it, might well be there are reasons for that. Might well be that you're in the situation that Isaiah was in when he said, I am a man of unclean lips. Lord, please clean me out. Notice the story didn't end there. The angel comes, puts a coal on his lips and his sins are atoned for. We're going to use that word quite a lot when we look at Leviticus in a moment. But his sin is atoned for. It's dealt with. So Isaiah goes out of the temple where he has that vision, a clean man. A man of clean lips. Because he's about, actually, to prophesy to the nation some very important messages. So it's important that, in that sense, his lips are clean. Sin is a serious deal, isn't it? Let's uh, see how serious sin is. If you turn with me to Leviticus chapter 10... This is an awesome, uh, an awesome chapter. The first seven chapters of Leviticus are really about the offerings that the people of Israel. So what, what's happened here? Where are we in the history of the people of God, the history of Israel? Well, the book of Exodus, of course, you well know, is the people have come out of slavery. They've come out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've been delivered. They're now in, in the desert. They should have gone into the promised lands, but because they were disobedient, God said, right, now you've got to, uh, you know, he didn't have faith to go into the promised land apart from Joshua and Caleb. And now they're in the wilderness and they're wandering around. God's given them the Ten Commandments and God still wants to have a relationship with them. What an ungrateful bunch. You've just been liberated from 400 years of slavery, taken through the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. You're now on your way to the land flowing with milk and honey and you decide to stop there. Just before the fulfillment of all God, God's had. No, no wonder God said, okay, if that's what you want, then this generation will wander in the desert for 40 years as a punishment for that lack of faith, that lack of gratitude, that lack of receiving what God dearly wanted to give to them right at that moment. But God doesn't leave them there. God, God wants to deal with them. God wants to have a relationship with them. So he sets up a whole sacrificial system. Now, to our mind, we haven't got time to read it this morning, our mind, it's a bit of a messy procedure, isn't it? You ever read those early chapters? They're sacrificing bulls and lambs and goats and doves and all manner of things. Now, it's easy for us, anybody worked in an abattoir? It's easy for us to kind of read that and think, what is that? You, look, if we marched a cow in here and slid its throat and parceled up the intestines and the kidneys and the livers, because they're all, all the various parts and some of the sacrifices are important, it would be a mess. Hallelujah that we don't make sacrifices anymore because Jesus has become our ultimate sacrifice. It makes church life so much cleaner. So much less expensive, except you've paid the ultimate price and giving Jesus paid the ultimate price for you so that you paying the ultimate price toward, you know, giving your life, you know, in exchange, uh, he's given his life for you. That's what I'm trying to say. 
Anyway, let's get back to the bulls. <laughs> Here's the thing. If you saw that on a regular basis, you'd realize that God was taking sin very seriously. One of the mistakes we make in the Christian life is actually not to take sin seriously. And God could have taken people's lives as a result of their sin. So when we get to Romans 6, verse 23, it tells us, isn't it? The wages of sin are death. What sin deserves actually is death. Actually, when you think about it, sin has already killed you off. Sin against God, breaking his law, has brought you into a place of spiritual death. You're alive physically before you become a Christian, but you actually die spiritually. One day, all of us are going to die physically, and then there's a a third death, if you like, where there's an eternal separation from God if you haven't repented of your sin and received his love and forgiveness and come into his kingdom. But in order to express that, in the book of Leviticus, you get these sacrifices, you get blood, you get mess. Things are dying. But the good news is they are dying in your place. So that God, although he is having his people wander through the desert, so that they can have a relationship, he says to them, okay, here's this sacrificial system where I will underline two things for you. One, the seriousness of your sin, but also that your sin has been forgiven. The equal and opposite problem that we have today is that we don't emphasize the seriousness of sin, but at the same time, we don't emphasize enough his forgiveness. Some of you will be on that kind of spectrum. If you're wandering around under the weight of sin, then please see that God wants to forgive you. Read the first seven chapters of Leviticus, and you can see in those sacrifices, not animals so much, but Jesus. You get into the New Testament, into the book of Hebrews, and Jesus is our high priest. On top of all the animal sacrifices, once a year, the priest, Aaron in this case, goes into the Holy of Holies in order to atone, there's that word again, atone for the sins of all the people. Just in case there are sins hanging around that need to be dealt with, there's this one annual event that says, enough is enough, all your sin is forgiven. And Jesus has done that for you. However you have sinned, whether you have years of sin behind you, whether you got up this morning and were angry with your husband or your wife or you beat, beat your kids, let's hope not. <laughs> Who knows? If you repent of that sin and put your faith in your high priest... Jesus Christ, who has gone into the heavenly place for you, who laid down his life for you, then the blood of Jesus Christ, just as surely as the blood of the lambs did, but more powerfully and more long-lastingly, has cleansed you from your sins. You are forgiven. You really are. Absolutely. And so, not only does God say, I am holy, but he calls you into that holiness. Into perfection. So that every day you can wake up and say, I have a clean conscience. You are a walking miracle. 
You are purity embodied, aren't you? Turn to the person next to you and say, you are totally pure. Why can I say that? This is just a preacher's whim. Of course it isn't. You see, not only does God say, I am holy, and calls you to holiness, but he says, I will make you holy. (laughs) The divine, loving Father has a plan to transform your life and make you perfectly acceptable in his sight. How does he do that? You see, all through the Israelite history, they kept on making those sacrifices. But there were always these prophetic words that one day there would be a Lamb of God, a pure and spotless Lamb of God, a man who would sacrifice himself on a cross so that your sins and my sins could be completely forgiven. And of course, you know that that is Jesus. And Jesus comes as the final sacrifice lays down his life for you so that your sins can be forgiven, which is the bit we often remember, but also that you can be given holiness. Just say with me, holiness. God has made you holy, blameless before him, If you were to stand like Isaiah before a heavenly, holy God whose total moral perfection, who is so other than us, you can stand before him on the judgment day and say, thank you, God, I am holy. Heaven forbid that anybody should have a heart attack in the next 10 seconds. Please wait while I finish the sermon. But if you did... And if you were to somehow, you would be translated into God's presence. You would be doing this now. Father, thank you that you have made me righteous. You have given me your son's righteousness. Your son has entered into my life so that I am cleansed, I am purified with him. Now... Got carried away there and forgot to look at Leviticus 10. Let's just dwell on that for a moment. Go home and read it. It's a terrifying story. Let's read it. It's so so terrifying. Because I want you to... I know some of you have been reading through the Bible. And you've got to stories like this and thought, what on earth, what sense do I make of this story? Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu took their senses, put fire in them and added incense. And they offered unsense authorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all people, I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. Actually, if we really believe that the wages of sin are death, we probably won't be surprised. We may be awestruck by that story, but we shouldn't be surprised. This may look a bit arbitrary because we haven't read the the first ten chapters, so it looks a bit in, in isolation, doesn't it? This is not arbitrary, folks. These guys are the sons of Aaron, who is the high priest, who ministers on all those sacrifices every day, whether it's for sin or guilt or fellowship or grain offerings and several other offerings. 
So they know. They absolutely know what to do when it comes to sacrifices. And yet they deliberately, the Bible says, offer, you know, offer unauthorized fire. And it's amusing, or not maybe, to read the commentaries because nobody really understands quite what that means. But when you don't get all the explanation, you look, you look at, here's a biblical principle of interpretation. When you don't get the answers you want, so why did this happen, Lord? Or we know what, were the, what these people doing? Then look for the main purpose of the passage. What's the main purpose of the passage? It's to demonstrate God's holiness. Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Why did Jesus have have, have to die. Because only a death could atone for sin. So when you see stories like that, just remember how serious sin is, how holy God is, but equally how holy God has made you in his sight through your faith in Jesus. He is good, isn't he? Um, I was going to read you a longer thing, but there's a a fantastic passage, and I'll close with this, in Bill Johnson's book, The Goodness of God, where actually he quotes Mike Bickle. He says, my friend Mike Bickle made a statement on this subject that really helped bring clarification uh, clarification for me on this issue. All of God's judgments, say with me, all of God's judgments, are aimed at whatever interferes with love. All of God's judgments are aimed at whatever interferes with love. And Bill goes on, he says, that's priceless. And so, completely true. See, in one sense, we will never know why the sons of Aaron were dealt with in that way. In the same way in the New Testament, right at the beginning of the book of Acts, you get that Awesome story of Ananias and Sapphira who are just kind of taken out of this world by God. And only God ultimately, I think, will be able to explain to us what's going on there. But it's something around the seriousness of sin. It's something around its holiness. But God would say to you and I who believe, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because you have been made holy through the blood of Christ. And by his spirit, he's helping you to work out, remember, his Holy Spirit, he is helping you to work out your life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. So my message to you this morning, well, is just to embrace that holiness. When you, when you ask for the Holy Spirit... You're asking to be made holy as he works in you to make you more and more like Jesus each day. Shall we stand? Father, we thank you for the grace of God that has taken sinful men and women and brought us into a holy place where we stand loved and accepted and blessed by you so powerfully and so deeply. Thank you that you died our death so that we could be justified by you, just as if we'd never sinned. Thank you for your love.
your perfect love that drives out all fear. Father, we're not afraid. We stand in awe of you, but we don't stand in fear. We don't stand afraid of you in that other sense. We love you and we love your ways. And thank you that you love to be with us, a holy God dwelling with his holy people. I just encourage you to pick up on what Joe was saying earlier. If you don't know God in this way, if you don't know his love, if somehow you're like, you feel like you're Isaiah, you keep going into his presence or trying to find him, but there's kind of sin that gets in the way. Know today that in, by turning away from your sin, which surely you want to do because it's a, it's a messy affair, sin, but turning to Jesus and simply putting your faith in Jesus saying, Father, forgive me. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you rose again so I could have this new life. I could be holy in your sight and live a life of holiness. And just step into that prayer. Step into the thoughts I've just prayed for you. (laughs) 